This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So great to have all you folks here this morning. Welcome to our online audience and really a very special service here today. So I'd ask you to just take a little breath. And just enter this space. We have a lot of things to talk about. And there's things that are real, things that matter, things that last. And we're looking at this concept around identity theft. Like, there's who I am, and I know I am that person in God. And yet there's these constant forces that push us out. It starts with the idea of deep magic, that, that, that there's this, this tree in the center of our life. Tree in the center of life goes way back in the Bible to the very creation story, which is at the very beginning of the Bible, where it talks about God putting a tree of life, tree of life, like life, right in the middle of the garden, right in the middle of our souls, of our hearts, of our very beings. Now, the kids last week, they did their little renditions of it. Pretty good, huh? Here's another one by Kaya. Beautiful little examples of what the tree of life looks like. And I love the idea that their, their hand is kind of in the middle of it because that is our identity. That is who we truly are. And yet we do find folks like in life that we, we, we sort of lose track. We forget. We forget who we actually really are. And it's important that we remember because when we remember what happens is that we expand the territory of our kindness. Think about that for a minute. We expand the territory of our kindness. When I'm all worried, anxious, shut down, ashamed, embarrassed, all those pieces, my territory is about this big. When I move beyond that into who I really am, and I look to the possibilities that are there, that territory grows. New Church believes it grows actually through all of eternity. The challenge, of course, is that there are lies out there that push us away from that trueness. And and it's not that those lies, in this weird way, they're just part of life. They're just part of how this thing works called life that we have to work on them, we have to battle with them, and what might be true, you know, as a, as a junior in high school might not be true later on. I, I think about just simply with sports. Like, I really thought the beginning and end of the whole world centered on a sport called lacrosse. I no longer believe that. You may have had the same thing. Like, that was true, and it doesn't mean that that was bad. It means that that served for its time, but that I need to continue to allow myself to fall deeper and deeper into truth. A share, a story. I had a dear friend share a podcast with me, and it's it's from a professor, a Duke Divinity School professor, who's facing stage four cancer. And she was talking about how with the challenges in life, overcoming what some of her original views of how life works, how faith dealt with illness, how illness dealt with faith, how it actually helped her grow. And she said something. I actually am planning a whole series on this next spring because it was so good. She actually said that she found in this weird way, cancer became a key for her 
to see blessings that she wasn't able to see otherwise. Because she was living in too confined a space and something managed to grow. And that's God's economy. She said this, and I thought it was funny. She said, what became a challenge for her where people were continually trying to pour their certainties onto her pain? Think about that. They were constantly trying to pour their certainties onto her pain. Certainties around, look, it's all good, it's all fine. And she's like, I got stage four cancer. It's not all good and all fine. As well as people who were panicked. How many of you are really good at panicking? Raise your hand, be honest. Panic is its own form of misplaced certainty. Think about that. Panic is its own form of misplaced certainty. We can live in a different place when I think we start to accept those pieces. So we want to look at identity theft. We want to take a look at at how this can work. We want to take a look at what those lies are, what gets in the way. So we can start to pull that aside. And here's the beautiful part, beautiful part, I think, of new church. And I've said this before, but I know we have some first-time people here today. New church perspective. The good stuff is the default. The good stuff is the default. The other stuff, it's the noise. So how do we get rid of that so we can be in this place? And it's a place that can hold both good things and bad things. But how do we return to this? How do we remember our lives? We are so incredibly blessed and fortunate to have a wonderful person here who's going to help us walk through this with three slightly terrified, but we're very excited to have you here, people, as well. So you can sort of get a sense and get a chance to hear how this might work. And with that, I give you our panel with Ignition Academy founder Martha Pitcairn and our three helpers here today. Please give them a round of applause, folks. Thank you very much. Um, it is a privilege to be here today with these brave humans. Aren't they brave? I'm, I'm needing some breath to be a little braver. So last week, you all were generous to just take a few breaths while my shaky voice calms down. And I re-remember that I don't need to prove a thing to anybody. And so if you could help me with that and take a breath or two for yourself, for these beautiful people who are willingly stepping out of their comfort zone. So let's do that just for a moment. And just soften with your breath. Thank you. So today, um, last week, we were speaking about our true identity, our divinity, our DNA from the very get-go. And... I walked you through 
a possibility of where you could begin to touch that, where you could begin to feel the possibility of how deeply and beautifully you were formed and made. And maybe that was in an activity that was with a person that loved you deeply. So that's our true identity. Today, we get to go a little bit to the dark side. And so I'm going to ask all of you to expand your capacity to hold the discomfort of where many of us lose our identity. And what I'm going to walk you through today is just an opportunity to feel where we get mixed up where we get shattered, where we disengage from that whole beauty of the baby we saw last week that's in each of us, that we all get the love. And today we're going to look at and breathe into finding that location or one location that might give us a little indicator of, oh, that's where I forgot so deeply who I am. So, would you be game? Um, so, I'm going to ask everybody, oh, first I'm going to ask these people to introduce themselves just briefly. And really, 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 we're all kind of nervous, and we were sweating back there. <laughs> and I really want you, the audience, to be generous in your support of them being you. This is just all part of our story, and they just have been brave enough to participate. So, thank you. Hi, I'm Missy. Hi, I'm Allie. Good morning. My name's John. I think that was my brother. <laughs> you might know him as Big Dog. So, All right. So I would invite anyone in the audience to please join us while we close our eyes. And I'm just going to walk you through verbally uh, the opportunity to go back somewhere in your life. So take a few breaths. So I'd love to invite you to remember a time where there was perhaps a moment in time when you were young where you weren't gotten, where you were misunderstood deeply, where you were caused to disembody your wholeness. Perhaps it showed up with a friend. Perhaps it showed up in a chronic life challenge in your home, in your family of origin. Perhaps it showed up in a classroom 
with humiliation, where you forgot that you were worthy, that everybody gets the love. There's probably a place, see what you're wearing, see where you are. Are you alone or are you with people? Is it public? Is there a line or a story in that moment that you made up about yourself? Did you decide that you were dumb? Did you decide that you were should be ashamed of who you are. And take a few breaths. And notice the story of it. Perhaps that story has followed you even now, today. where we forget our true identity and we keep bringing that stolen identity piece into our present day. So take a breath, gently open your eyes and join our three participants while we hear from them and see if you can hear your own story in theirs. Missy. Missy, would you tell us in a few words where you were and the nature of it? And if there are tears up here, again, I'm going to ask each and every one of you even those of you that are uncomfortable with this kind of thing, to be generous to these humans. They're beautiful people, okay? Okay, here goes. Um, I got a good one. Um, I was, I think I was 13 years old, and um, my parents had gotten a divorce, and um, I can totally see right where I was because I've uh, visualized this many times before. Um, my mother and father were not getting along, and my father came over to um, I think it I think it was Christmas Day. He had come to see me, and um, I remember him knocking on the door. And being on the other side of the door with my mother, and my mother saying, if you open the door, you don't, I don't remember her exact words, but the feeling I got was, if you open the door, you don't love me. And I had to make a choice um, what to do that day. And I really wanted to open the door to see my dad. And um, I didn't because my mother, I, f- I felt I owed an obligation to my mother as well. And I felt very torn. And um, 
what always makes where the tears are coming from is um, my dad had just left a check on the door for my for my Christmas present. And um, I don't know why all these years, I just, I remember seeing the check lying there when I opened the door and I felt really empty and um, confused about it all and just torn. Let's take a breath. And we can hear there, even the passageway, the doorway, where we lose our identity. Where a story that isn't correct, that there's not enough love, that there's only a limited amount of love, is right there. Thank you. Not good at not crying. Um, mine was 1986. I was six or seven years old. Um, and my best friend was my first cousin. And uh, I remember not being able to see her all of a sudden. And there was a big divide and divorce in our family, but it wasn't between my parents. It was between my dad and his with and his mom and his siblings. And as a six-year-old processing, I wasn't allowed to know what was going on. All I knew is I couldn't see my best friend. And I would hide behind the wall of where my parents were talking and I'd listen to everything going on because I wanted to know what was going on. Why can't I see Dana? And um, it, I put the pieces together and in my little brain, I, my identity was lost in that if I could do anything to make peace in this house, I will do it. So that meant twisting myself into anything, like if it meant doing my chores, if it meant cleaning the kitchen when my mom left, if it meant vacuuming, if it meant being a good girl. And all of those messages, just I just wanted, I didn't want this divorce of the family. I wanted to see my best friend. And... Um, Recently, my dad had a stroke, and I got to go back to my grandmother's house the second time, I think, this all unfolded. And I got to see the beauty in my dad's brother, who I missed out on. I got to hug him and tell him I loved him, and he was so worried for my dad. And he and my dad are reunited and really close, but it's taken a long time. Thanks. Thank you, Allie. Let's take a nice big breath for her. And that is a beautiful, full story of re-remembering the identity of love in a family, right? These, these stories become family of, of origin stories, too, where families lose their identity. Uh, mine is uh, 
when I was about 17 years old, I, um, my, my parents had been going through a difficult time in their marriage. And I didn't have the capacity to understand, you know, how difficult things are on a, on a married couple with children. Um, you know, I was at the shore with my friends one day and we came home and, uh, there were relatives' cars, my relatives' cars in front of the house that normally wouldn't be there on this particular day. And I thought for a moment that somebody had died. Um, that's all I could think. And I went inside and it was that atmosphere in the house that someone had died. But my uh, younger sisters and my mom, they grabbed me and they said that our father had left us. Um, <clears throat> at the time I, I, uh, you know, went numb and, uh, I was told that there was a note that was left in my bedroom from my father. And I went up and I read the note and, uh, <clears throat> I don't remember what the note said. I tore it up because it was, uh, him apologizing um, I remember how scared and fragile and how devastated my mom and my sisters were and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. And I all of a sudden felt like I had to be the man of the family. So I tried to bury all of it and just move on and, and be there for everybody else. But maybe not dealing a lot with my own emotions to the whole thing. Thank you so much. Let's have a breath for him. And you can hear how in a moment, and many of you in this audience have had that moment that is life-changing in, in such a powerful way where his childhood was gone in that moment. And that identity of innocence and carefreeness probably hasn't returned, right? It's probably, I bet this guy's a pretty responsible dude. So anyway, let's take a big breath. Um, all of this generosity from these three participants and perhaps in you to say we do lose our identity. Life is life, and it is part of the spiritual plan. We didn't do it wrong. It's part of the plan. And Pastor Chuck will deal more fully with that part. But we can see why we get tricked up and why re-remembering our wholeness takes something. So without further ado, here's Chuck. So just, yeah, give these folks a round of applause. So I just want to get us cued for the second part of re-remembering. I'm going to ask you three another question here. All right, so you just sit and breathe where you are right here today. 
And Missy, if you could go back to tell that little girl on that side of the door or something, what would you say? Allie, same for you. John, what would you tell that 17-year-old boy today? Yeah, I, looking at it, um, it really, um, after, after being through a lot of therapy, um, really involving my, myself and my mother, um, and, and being able to realize where she was coming from as well, um, I would tell myself, I didn't have to make those choices. I didn't have to make the decision that I loved one parent more than the other. And, and, and being, there's, there doesn't have to be a choice there. Um, love them. Yes. Enough love to go around. And I had it within me and, um, I was, I was scared. It's a lot of fear. Um, I would tell her not to make anybody bad and wrong and that, there's enough love to love everyone. Yeah. I would tell him to not put everything on your shoulders, that you're still a young man. You don't need to be the head of the household. You can still be John, the son, and, and big brother. But you don't have to put the weight of the world on your shoulders and carry it all. Thank you all. Yeah, and thank you. That was a... Precious 15 minutes at New Church Live. And the, the preciousness of that speaks to the, the preciousness of life and, and the preciousness of God and the preciousness that we all have these spiritual lives. That you're an expert in yours. You, you know stuff. And some of it's hard. Some of it's blessed. Some of it's broken. And in some way, it's all precious. The Bible we hold has stories that help us to see insights into this, that help us to give a, a poetic understanding of this, that come back again and again so that we can see more and more how much we share. Because there's no doubt in my mind that we all shared something. How many of us had an experience hearing those three stories that you were in at least one of them, right? If not all three. I mean, that's a miracle. So back to the garden, the Garden of Eden. There is this tree of life, this beautiful part, this, this, this deep magic that all of us carry within every single person. From a Swedenborgian perspective, that even goes back to saying there is a part of every single one of you here today directly connected to the highest heaven. Connection that's never severed. And never severable. Think about that. So there's that beautiful tree. But as we know, as we read the story, there's actually two trees in the story. A tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees. And, and it's important to say this, like, going out, it's not that that's wrong. That's how God created it with two trees. So we have times where we step into this deep magic. 
We heard about that last week. And then we have times as well where we forget. We migrate to this other tree. And what we do is we struggle there. We experience pain there. We experience disconnect. The way that story is crafted is real simple in the Bible. It's a story where God says, look, don't eat of that tree. That tree is there, but don't eat of it. Don't take its fruit. In other words, don't try to figure out what it is to be God in this situation. Because when we start to try to figure out how to be God in a situation, that means we're trying to control, as Anne Lamott famously said, we're all control enthusiasts. And that control will get in the way of the deep magic. Even trying to control situations that are incredibly, painfully difficult. Now what happens with this story, it goes on to say in the Bible in Genesis, goes on to say this. The serpent, the snake, said, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So that the snake becomes the temptation. The snake, picturing our very basic, natural, corporeal selves, that offers this piece of of supposed wisdom that we can actually figure this all out. Life is really hard to figure out. Could I get a little amen on that one? It's really hard to figure it out. Sat with many of you here in this congregation in moments of deep pain that just couldn't be figured out. That is part of the story. That's part of how this goes. I think it is so easy to give in at those times to the voice of the liar, the voice of the snake. And that liar relentlessly will turn us in on ourselves. It'll get us on both sides up and down. In other words, it will get us when we're at a high and it'll get us when we're at a low. It also seduces us with the promise that we will be like God. That somehow we can do the right thing enough. And that will somehow solve some of these problems. I want to go over here to talk for a minute about kind of how this works in a way that's a little bit lighter. I think when we look at this, we got kind of three things here. Could you all say these with me, please? All right, ready? We got the good. Ready? The good, the bad, and the bot. The good, the bad, and the bot. I think life, you know, some days are really good. Some days are just terrific. Some events, I look back in my life, I look back in your lives, some are just terrific. And how many of us have had days like this? Anybody having a day like this? This resembles a really large kidney stone, by the way. You know, sometimes we just have, life is just that way. And I, I you know, and I, I picture the tree for me, I picture the tree as, as having both of these kinds of fruit on it. Like life is always that mixed. And, and for some phases of life, it feels like there's a bushel of this and just one of these. And other times it feels like there's a bushel of this 
and just one of these. And the truth be told, I want to peck. This is the way I want my life to look. That hasn't turned out so well. So what does bots have to do with this? Well, bots are just these silly little computer programs that are making a lot of the news now around social media. Because what a bot is, if I, if I wanted New Church Live to all of a sudden show explosive growth in our on-stream audience, what I could do is I could write a bot that would log into our live stream and have a computer-generated 2 million followers and I would be preacher of the year. That's the way a bot works. If I want 2 million Twitter followers, write a little bot, create 2 million Twitter followers. I want to make 2 million comments from 2 million different people on issue X, Y, or Z. Write a bot, watch it work. I think we all have little bots in our head. These little small things that get into the big lie and it just takes a a second to to, to re-engage them and all of a sudden they totally fill our social media feed up here. My story, Ironbridge Road, about 12 years of age, I've met some of the other boys on our street. To to say we have a street is generous. It was really a chipped and tarred country road. There are four of us. We're on a hill. Remember exactly where it happened. And it's snowing. And the three of them take off leaving me alone for that minute or two with that realization they don't like me. They don't want to be with me. I turned that into a whole life experience. I can still go back to that bot instantly. It can fill my feed, so to speak. It's hard to live expansively in that place because I can go back to that really, really quickly. When we were talking about this in Sermon Writing Team, a dear friend said, yeah, Chuck, and here's the kicker. You even wrote the program, which I think is true. Like, I wrote this program that I keep on rehearsing again and again. Yeah, sure, there were parts of it I didn't control But I need to find ways to acknowledge that and to put it aside, to acknowledge it, to put it aside. And it's it's constantly this battle of acknowledging and putting it aside. Here's one I bet you a lot of us share. How many of us come here with worry anxieties, with worry around money anxieties today? Right? Like how fast does that bot populate your social feed? I can go from zero to homelessness in about three seconds. That's how well-refined that bot is. I mean, come on, folks. I see we got a lot of other people who do the same same thing. That's the way those bots work. New Church, we said, look, look, this is is about a decision. Are we going to decide to to really trust and lean into divine providence, or are we going to trust and lean into our own human proprium, our own human prudence? place where I'm just convinced of my own opinion and my own way that the world works. If I do that, folks, if I really believe that I can somehow figure this all out, I'm setting myself up for a life that's filled with a lot of shame as things don't work the way I thought they would. 
Can I tell you a really cool word? Can I tell you a really cool word? Okay. It's the word embarrassed. Could we say the word embarrassed together? Embarrassed. Could you, let's see if we can do it with an embarrassed tone. All right, ready? Ready? Embarrassed. 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 Listen to this. The word embarrassed, the root of it, is it means to hamper or impede. Is that good or what? When we are embarrassed, something is hampered or impeded. Could I get an amen on that one? When we are embarrassed, when you are embarrassed, be that of your body, your lack of hair, pick whatever you want. Your life in any way, shape, or form, something is being impeded. Something is being hampered. And we see that in the story. They eat, they believe that they can somehow figure this out and it leads to this whole shame trigger. And that's where the story goes on like this. Then the eyes of both of them, here we're talking Adam and Eve, were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves. A lot of you have seen these old paintings of Adam and Eve. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings of themselves. That realization that we're naked, that realization that we have flaws, we try to cover it all up. How many of us are good at covering? (laughs) You know, that's what we do. And yet, folks... There's a way here and a way forward. What I have noticed about the most powerful people in my life, and we've had some of them here, Scarlett Lewis, Kevin Hines, number of different folks. We had a Holocaust survivor, the same thing. They're able to look at this part of their life. They're able to candidly acknowledge, yep, this was true. Yep, this was true too. And they're able somehow to incorporate this. And this is a miracle for me that I don't understand. If you understand it, please tell me after church. They're able to completely inhabit this at the same time to be a step away from it. I remember Scarlett Lewis standing right here. Scarlett Lewis standing right here. And she talked about forgiveness. And she said, you know, when she was finally able to put it aside and she fully owns that her son died in a horrific act of violence, which she said she was fully able to put it aside. It was like scissors that cut the chain. Able to fully own that experience. And able at the same time to understand that there is an identity you have that is not that experience. There's a God-given preciousness and love in you that is not that experience. There's a deep magic given by God, implanted from creation in you that holds on to the whole experience and at the same time is not that experience. That's a God's economy part that I just can't get my brain around. I know it to be true. And I know it to be beautiful. And I see it as well in people who've gone through amazing things and written amazing things. I want to talk for a bit about this woman, Eddie Hillenson. Eddie wrote a wonderful book called An Interrupted Life. So I've mentioned her in here before. She's, it's a wonderful book to read. Uh, this is a diary from a woman who's in a Jewish ghetto awaiting deportation to Auschwitz. And she goes through this amazing spiritual transformation 
where she's able to look at her life and she's able to see both. You'll see her coming up to this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to be able to see both, hold both, own the experience and not necessarily be owned by the experience, the horrors that were going on around her. So I want to close today's service with three brief readings from Eddie. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come out in the audience with a microphone. And if you'd like to read, just raise your hand. Because I want you to hear Eddie's words and to hear them as a way to close today's service. So if you're interested in doing a reading, please just raise your hand. I can sit for hours and know everything and bear everything and grow stronger in the bearing of it, and at the same time feel sure that life is beautiful and worth living and meaningful despite everything. Thank you. Next one. Living and dying, joy and sorrow, the blisters on my feet and the jasmine behind the house, the persecution, the unspeakable horrors. It is all one in me, and I accept it all as one mighty whole and begin to grasp it better if only for myself, without being able to explain it to anyone else how it all hangs together. And the last one. This sort of feeling has been growing stronger in me. A hint of eternity steals through the smallest daily activities and perceptions. I am not alone in my tiredness or my sickness or fears, but at one with millions of others from many centuries, and it is all part of my life. Can we give those folks a round of applause? I find those just beautiful. I'm actually going to ask Martha and her team to come up here and join me for the last prayer, completely spur of the moment. I find those, those readings just beautiful because can you see both there? Can you see that? That's an empowered person. That's a beauty and a power that I think this story is trying to get us pointed towards where we come back to this. We come back to our true selves. Come back to who we are. Come back to the amazing blessings we are in this world. Come back, give me a hand fist here, to being a good man and all those things that are part of it. That closes today's service. Let's have this as a week where we remember the deep magic. And when the deep lie shows up, let's acknowledge that that's part of life too. And there's something more true and more blessed out there for us. Amen. Please join me in prayer. So Lord, I thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, I thank you especially for what these three amazing people offered, the generosity of their heart, the care, the openness. And Lord, allow us to go forth from this place with that stirring of our deep magic and awareness of where the lie shows up for us. And a commitment, Lord, 
not to work harder or to try more, but a commitment to just breathe. Breathe into who we are, who we have always been, the angel within, somebody beloved and loved by you, somebody created with a purpose and a call in this life. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for helping us today to re, to remember. In your name, we pray as we find those diamonds within. In your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.